Hey there, friends. Heather Creekmore here. I'm so glad you're listening to the Compared to Who podcast today. Today is another one of my intuitive eating coaching calls where I let you in to my private conversation with my coaches, Aaron Todd and Charlie Castle, where they kind of just help me on my own intuitive eating journey. I never realized that I probably had a full-blown eating disorder for a good part of my life. And so even for me, even the work that God has done in my life, in my heart to rescue me from my body image issues, even for me, the food part of this equation has been a separate healing journey and I'm still on it. So that's why I do these calls. And I know you guys um, are listening to them and I hope you're enjoying them. Today we talk about gentle nutrition, giving yourself permission to eat. We talk about all the food sensitivity testing that I had done that kind of led me down a certain path of restriction. Maybe some of you can relate. We talk about that and some of the harm it may have done. Also, in today's episode, I mentioned that I was waiting for blood work to see if after a year of being free with food, including gluten, to see if my Hashimoto's had returned. And I'm glad to tell you it has not. I still have no um, signs of Hashimoto's right now. So this is not a show for medical advice at all. Talk to your doctor. But my story is, I think my fear of food, my fear of gluten, my fear of some of these other things we're going to talk about today was hurting me more than the actual food. So just if that's an encouragement to you today, take it. If you still need to be gluten-free, hey, no shame. I'm with you, my sister. You continue down that path. But for me, gluten wasn't the issue. So I hope you enjoyed today's call. Before we get to it, I do want to let you know I have a couple spaces open for coaching, maybe two. Um, But if, if you're ready to be free, if you're ready to start walking a new path, if you're tired of stressing over this, let's do it. Let's do coaching. Let's work together. Let me put you in a group where you will have a group of women to support you even after the six weeks is over. So I think this might be the time for you, my friend, to get serious about walking the path to freedom. Go to compare to.me, look for the coaching tab, or drop me an email, heather at compare to who.me, and say, Heather, tell me more about coaching. I want to plug you in to one of these groups. Okay, let's get to today's show. Hope you enjoy it. If you do, leave a review. That's the nicest thing you could do for me. Let's go. Welcome to Compare to Who, the podcast to help you make peace with your body so you can savor God's rest and feel his love. If you're tired of fighting body image the world's way, Compare to Who is the show for you. You've likely heard lots of talk about loving your body, but my goal is different. Striving to fall in love with stretch marks and cellulite is a little silly to me. Instead, I want to encourage you and remind you with the truth of scripture that you are seen, you are known, and you are loved no matter what your size or shape. Here the pressure is off. If you're looking for real talk, biblical encouragement, and regular reminders that God loves you and you're not alone, you've come to the right place. I hope you enjoy today's show and hey, tell a friend about it. Well, hey there. Today is another intuitive eating coaching call. I am 
so excited to be with my friends and my uh, coaches, Charlie Castle and Aaron Todd. And it's been an adventure. My goodness, we started this in January and it's August already. So eight months of coaching and I'm getting great feedback and you guys are loving these calls. So thanks. Let, let that feedback keep coming. And, um, and I'll keep letting you into my deep, dark secrets surrounding my intuitive eating journey. <laughs> I'm going to turn it over to you, Shar. You're my, uh, you're my, yeah. Oh, I'm trying to think of like a good, yeah. a good word. I'm just picturing like Rocky and, uh, who is his trainer, Adrian, maybe, um, I don't know. Adrian's I the girlfriend, I think. Girlfriend. Yeah. So I shouldn't use Rocky illustrations or analogies let's ever. Just, let's um, just go with dietitian. There we go. There we go. My dietitian friend. I love it. <laughs> Hit I love me with it. it. Yes. Well, I know that, you know, in the past we had talked about a lot of your struggles with your relationship with food was the idea of food sensitivities and doing some of those tests and um, I want to check in with how you're doing now that you're trying to practice intuitive eating, like what's your experience with the food sensitivities? What's your thoughts? What have you learned? I love that you asked that question because it is almost embarrassing. You guys, some of what I've been learning recently. So thing one, um, so years ago, and, and I, I figured it out, it may have been a full 10 years ago, I had MRT testing, the mediator release testing. And this is definitely part of my, um, well, what I would call now my eating disorder issues, like part of that story. But at the time I would have told you it's part of my wellness story that I was just trying to like focus in on what was keeping me from being well. And if I could just keep like pulling back layer after layer of, of what foods were making me unwell, then I could like find my way to optimal health. And, and I, I say that cautiously because I do know for some people that is an important part of their health journey. But for me, I think it was part of my eating disorder journey. I didn't really have a huge health issue I was trying to solve. Um, at that point, I don't think I'd even been diagnosed with Hashimoto's yet. So I was really just trying to figure out like what food was making me fat. Um, and, um, and so anyway, I had this list of foods and it was like every single breakfast food like pork, eggs, um, well, anything with gluten. So that would be, you know, any of your breads, um, oats. I mean, you name it. If it's in a breakfast food, it was on that list. And then every single spice was on that list. And then, so get ready for this because you're going to, you're going to laugh at this, but I didn't know this. And there's probably someone listening to it that doesn't know this either. Um, on that list was goat cheese and grapes. Now, the strange thing about that was I got this test done like the day after I had had a big party and made these fancy hors d'oeuvres with goat cheese <laughs> and grapes. And like, those weren't things that I ate regularly, but I ate a lot of goat cheese and grapes that day before. And so ever since that test, I've thought, oh, I have to, uh, you know, I've got to avoid goat cheese and grapes. And recently I learned 
<laughs> that that test actually is more a reflection on what you've eaten in the last 24 hours <laughs> and yeah. for 10 years i operated off of that data that's and something that, like i want to make sure we highlight here is that like mrt testing is not evidence-based practice it is not helpful yeah it is not helpful. It, we share, Heather, that that was a big part of my orthorexia as well. Really? As yeah. Well, and I think we talked about this um, earlier this summer, but that was why I wasn't part of why I wasn't eating breakfast. Mm -hmm. I mean, the other part of why I wasn't eating breakfast, of course, was, you know, the whole intermittent fasting, like buzz in the back of my head, like, well, if you can just wait till later to eat, that's just going to, you know, be better all around. But, but, you know, it was like, well, if I can eat any of those foods, that makes it easier not to eat it. And so as far as where I'm at now, um, I'm still eating breakfast and I'm finding that I have to eat breakfast mm -hmm. and, you know, and I don't, I think I could be doing from a nutritional standpoint, I could be doing a quote unquote better job. Boy, I'm really bound to better, aren't I? <laughs> That's why I write books in this title, um, but <laughs> But I, you know, I, I could probably be doing a little better on that front, but I'm still in a hurry in the morning. I'm so like anxious to like get stuff done. And so like a simple carb with some protein is about all I can muster. Um, and, but that's not, you know, that's like a piece of toast with peanut butter. And I've turned in my grandmother officially because that's what she ate for breakfast every single morning. I'm like, oh, well, I guess the apple doesn't fall that far from the tree, but, um, but it's, it's sad to me that for 10 years, I was scared of those foods from that one little test. And then, so then glom onto that, my Hashimoto's, right. And, and all the different protocols that I tried to follow for Hashimoto's. And I will say, um, so my doctor last year, when she cleared me, she's like, well, if you eat a bunch of gluten, it might come back. And so I'm waiting right now. I will know in the next month, whether or not it has come back. Now that, that language is my language, not the doctor's language, because once you've been diagnosed with autoimmune, you keep the yeah. diagnosis. But she told me last year that if she was looking at my blood work for the first time, there would be no evidence that I had Hashimoto's. So I was cleared in, in that regard. Sure. And I responded to her, no, I have been having some gluten every once in a while, you know? <laughs> so anyway, so I, I'm, I'm anxious to see, see that. And it's been interesting. I found myself, um, with having to get that blood work done with that medical interaction, like mm -hmm. feeling more anxious as I eat the bread and mm -hmm. as I eat the carbs, like, uh Oh, is this going to show up? Uh Oh, is this going to, you know, set me back? Like those kind of things. And so fighting those thoughts to really stay calm and okay, it's just food. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I made it through the blood work before with some gluten and we're, you know, I'm just going to trust God with my health instead of trying to manipulate every little tiny thing. Yeah. So, so that's that part of it, but you guys, the funny part, and I'll just throw this out real quick. The funny part is, so I'm I always say I'm not a science person, but I am like 
a science experiment. Like that's my, like my life is a science experiment. <laughs> so I am constantly like, Ooh, what's this? What's this? Oh, how can I treat that? Oh, watch the evidence. Like, Oh, my hypothesis is this, but I've seen from my research. And so for years, actually decades, I have had the problem of waking up with a stuffy nose in the morning you know, or a sore throat, like just mm -hmm. occasionally. And I was always sure it was the food. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, so as soon as that happens, I'm laying in bed, I'm like, Oh, my throat feels scratchy. My nose is stuffed up. What did I eat yesterday? And I go through the Rolodex. What did I eat? Everything I ate. Oh, okay. It was probably that, but there's been many times over the years where I was like, Oh my word, I must not be able to eat anything because I can't think of what it would have been. Like I just ate stuff that I always eat. And for some reason today, it made me sore throat and, and it never did that before. And oh no, and do I need to eliminate more foods? And, you know, going down that spiral, you guys, are you ready for this? It wasn't the food. It was the hairspray. <laughs> I figured out. So I went, I went most of COVID without hairspray, right? Because who needs hairspray when you're not going anywhere? And really, and so that kind of led me to like not use hairspray very much. And now I really just use a little bit of hairspray like two days a week. Uh -huh. And I started to notice those next mornings, if I didn't wash my hair before I went to bed, those were the mornings I woke up. And I was like, how, like how many decades has my allergy, my quote unquote food allergy that I've been trying to solve been connected to hairspray mm -hmm. instead of food. I don't know. I've been talking a lot. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think? Well, I am just thinking so much, Heather, about letting go of control mm. and controlling the outcome. Yeah. Um, I think with wellness culture, for sure, the thought process is so like, I'm going to be the master of my body and I'm going to control everything that it does. And I'm going to eliminate any possible ever bad symptom or yeah. uncomfortableness in my body by eating the perfect way. And, and then we bring the morality into it of like, and that makes me a good person. And I'm a bad person if I choose to eat something that is going to give me some sort of uncomfortable symptom. Right. We're not like, we, we're, we're allowed to eat some things that don't feel 100% great in our bodies. Yeah. And we're allowed to eat things that do typically help us feel good in our bodies. And we're also allowed to like sometimes not feel great and not know why. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just chap titled a chapter in my new book, The Myth of the Perfect Eater. Mm -hmm. Because I, I think that's a very real ideal, a real figure that a lot yeah. of us keep in our heads you know, and we project that onto people, right? You see someone with a body that you think you'd like to have and you're like, oh, I bet she's a perfect eater. I bet she never, you know, does this or eats this. And it's just not possible. There's no such thing, right? It, but I have to remind myself of that. I do it. Well, and Heather, I know that like, okay, so when we're in diet culture, 
or wellness culture, like there's some difference there of like what has happened, how you would define the perfect eater, right? So in like the nineties, how you would define the perfect eater was different than like now how you would define the perfect eater in diet or wellness culture. But then what about when you start learning intuitive eating and maybe exploring like anti-diet, especially if we're getting like that rebel thing going on, the diet mm-hmm. rebel. Um, now you might have this idea of what it means to be a perfect intuitive eater, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like now the perfect eater is someone that like honors hunger and fullness mm-hmm. and makes choices based on what's best for their body, but doesn't necessarily restrict and has a good balance. And that's like a, that's a source of like a negative idol, Mm -hmm. just as much as the diet culture is. Absolutely. So we have to be careful to just not let our eating take up more space in our life than it needs to. Yeah. 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 I I'm thinking when I use the word, the perfect eater for myself, I'm probably thinking never eats past fullness. Mm -hmm. I mean, because, because my definition has morphed, right? Like definitely in the (laughs) nineties, I was a perfect eater eating my plain bagels and fat-free frozen yogurt. (laughs) But, um, and my college roommates, if they're listening to this, are going to be laughing because they know exactly how much fat-free frozen yogurt I consumed (laughs) every week. Uh, That was a main staple. But yeah, now it's like, ooh, I'm you know, there are sometimes, especially I think in stressful seasons Mm -hmm. where I'm still like, I, I got nothing. I have bodies not speaking. (laughs) Right. And, and I know part of that is, um, is I'm not slowing down enough. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Part of that is probably that is when my desire to go back to controlling food or thinking about food the way I used to think about it. Like that is flare that flares up when I'm stressed. Um, and I think it's subconscious. I don't know. It might be like a body keeps the score kind of trauma <laughs> kind of thing where I'm not even fully aware of how much my body is like, yep, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're not going to talk to you anymore right now because you've gone back to that mode. But I definitely feel, I definitely feel that. I mean, just even the last couple of weeks at dinner. So we eat early. I think I've showed that before just because of kid activities. And, and I feel like I've been eating something at four and some we eat dinner at five. I'm like two bites and I'm full. Um, but that wasn't how it was before. I, but most of that was my day was kind of like my food was back ended in my day because I wasn't eating anything until, you know, 11 or noon. Um, but, but kind of feeling the fullness and then kind of wrestling through like, yeah, but if I don't eat it now, it's, <laughs> it gets a pain to get it out later. And then I got to heat it up and, you know, like wrestling through some of that stuff has been, has been so interesting too. Let's, let's talk about, um, kind of eating as a self-care plan. 
So there are certainly times in our lives where you're going to be disconnected from your body. Um, absolutely times of high stress. Um, when there's a lot going on, you know, there could be so many reasons why either you're not slowing down to connect to your body or there's too much going on that you're not connecting. Um, a lot of people's like hunger signals shut down and grief, you know, so many things. And so having a kind of self-care plan during that time can often really help us cope through that time. So nutrition is important, right? We need adequate calories, carbohydrates, protein for our bodies to function, for our brains to function, like for our brains to cope with high stress or grief or emotional, you know, any of those things. And so we might not feel like eating. We might not be getting those hunger signals because we're pretty consumed with like the mental stuff going on. Um, but eating is going to help us cope yeah. with that stuff going on so much better. Yeah. And so this is where all of your science experiments can really help us. Like, I don't feel like eating right now, but I do know like from past experience that if I have a simple carbohydrate and some protein in the morning, that really helps me function better. Yeah. And so, you know, I kind of have this plan in my head of like, you know, if you, if you can't think of what you want to eat or you don't feel hungry or you don't like, just you go to like plan A, you know, like I know that these are things that usually if I choose them for breakfast and lunch, I feel good and they're helpful. And so that like self-care eating is a part of intuitive eating. It is a type of hunger. Mm, okay. Like we include that as a, it's like practical hunger yeah. is eating simply to care for your body. You might yeah. not really be eating for pleasure in those times. You might not really be eating because you really have a big appetite, but you're eating to fuel. Yeah what you're doing. So that, that sounds like an area for you, um, that we could work on a little bit. Well, especially as it comes to lunch. Mm -hmm. And I think we talked about lunch before, but I, I feel like lunch, I mean, I breakfast. I'm not, I, I don't feel, how, how can I say this in a intuitive eating way? <laughs> I don't feel completely satisfied with my breakfast choices because there's not a lot of planning that has gone into it. So it's like, okay, there's nothing else. I will have a slice of bread with peanut butter um, and I'll toast it. Uh, but lunch, especially, and it's like, so I was kind of thinking through like, well, what would it look like for me to start meal planning lunch? But then there's the like, Ooh, but if I plan it, you know, am I going back to the diet where it's like, this is what I have for lunch. But I really kind of feel like I need to do that because I am just like, blah, I don't know what to eat <laughs> and I'm not hungry for any of this. And I haven't bought what I, what I want to eat, but I don't even know what that is. So, yeah. yeah. So what's your heart behind wanting to meal plan for lunch right now? It's, I think it's decision fatigue. Okay. Right. 
Cause yeah. it's like, I, and if I'm busy all day long, I do not have the time to make the decision and make the food. <laughs> and, and so then I end up making my smoothie, um, or, you know, or just eating random things that aren't filling and, and back to the nutrition thing, aren't giving me the nutrients I need to be going all day. And then uh, my downfall is the chocolate chips. You mm-hmm. know, I didn't even know people. So I grew up, you couldn't eat the chocolate chips. Chocolate chips were just for cookies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was probably like 35 years old and someone was like, just have a handful of chocolate chips. And I was like, what? You can do that? Huh? And that was the worst. That was the worst conversation probably <laughs> from, a, from a chocolate consumption standpoint. So, so that, then I started eating chocolate chips all afternoon and, okay. and that's, and so that's got to change. <laughs> So, okay. So we're going back to, you want to meal plan because you have a lot going on in your life. You are super busy helping people and raising kids and writing books and doing all this cool stuff and making the decision about what to eat for lunch. Isn't working out really well for you right now. So let's talk about like, what's your heart behind why you want that lunch to be nutritious and satisfying? Like, why do you care what you eat for lunch? Yeah, I, I think it is similar to what I was, well, I, and I think I just thought this, I don't know that I actually said this out loud, but I've noticed with breakfast. So my old habit for years and years and years is I just come in and start working and I don't eat till 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed like it, it was just yesterday. I came in, I wrote from like 7.30 to 8.30. And then 8.30, I was just really having a hard time. Like, hmm, I can't find any more words. I'm stuck. And I was like, oh, I haven't eaten anything yet. And I ate. And then, oh, guess what? That actually helped me think. And I'm like, this is so uh, what you learn in high school science, right? In high school health class, right? But yet diet culture has totally robbed us from this very basic Mm -hmm. principle of you eat three times a day plus snacks. And that helps you fuel your body and keep going. (laughs) Your brain can work and all the things can work. And so to your question, yeah, I, I need to eat something that will sustain me through the afternoon and not make me tired, which kind of ties back to the allergy thing, because I attributed everything. Every food is making me tired. And I think you solved that for me a couple of months ago. It was probably just that my blood sugar had gotten so low or, and then, you know, when I eat all at once, then it spiked and then I just crashed afterwards. Um, so something just helped me regulate through the afternoon and not feel like I need to pound sugar to keep going all afternoon long. So can you take me back to meal planning, pre-intuitive eating Mm -hmm. diet, meal planning? What was your heart behind that? So I was, I was never the good, like I never I never did the meal prep on Sunday. Like I was just never that organized for me. It was always just my smoothies. That was, that was my smoothies and bars. So that was, that was your plan for eating smoothies and bars. I lived on smoothies and bars. And what was your heart behind that? Um, those were safe foods. Okay. Um, goal I was trying to achieve was to stay skinny, get skinnier. Um, And, and 
And I would say I had the wellness umbrella over that to mitigate my food allergies. And, you know, they were safe, not only for, you know, weight related reasons, but they were safe for my health because they didn't have the things in it I was supposed to avoid. So do you feel like back then and now meal planning, is it the same or is it different? No, I think it's definitely different. Yeah, it's definitely different because, well, there wasn't really planning. I I was planning dinner, um, but even my heart behind dinner has changed. And that's been kind of fun, actually, because, you know, my poor children have, have eaten gluten-free dinners for most of their lives. And, and so I brought, I bought some, um, I'm going to say it wrong. My husband makes fun of me when I say it wrong, non nan or non it's non bread, non. Um, I bought some of that at Costco. Oh my word. That stuff is so good. And I've just been, I've had more freedom to play with things that I would have never made before. Like, I don't know, I made like a caprese salad, pasta salad the other day and stuff like that, that I just like the, so the kids are like, oh, like, this is good. And you know, like, oh, I've never had this before. And I'm like, oh, my poor children, like they've been eating their mom's diet foods <laughs> their entire lives. Um, so that's, that's been fun. So, so yes, yeah, so it's different to answer your question, Char, like meal planning then was about restriction, about good quote unquote, good, safe foods versus now it's, I, you know, I know that we don't like to use the food is just fuel because it's not just fuel, it's satisfaction and all those things. But the fuel aspect of food is one that I absolutely ignored, even though I was a little bit in that gym world and, you know, I knew that side of it and would have told my spin people, you know, like you better eat before you come to class. But what Mm -hmm. I meant was you better eat a bar. (laughs) before you come to class. So yeah, I don't know. It's a mixed bag. So it sounds to me like your thought to meal plan for lunch is pretty helpful and beneficial for you. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think you can give yourself permission to meal plan? Yes, because I have tried to justify it, if you will. And not that it needs to be justified. So maybe that's a yicky word, but I've put it in the context of scheduling. Like I am a good, I am a good steward of my time if I schedule. Mm -hmm. And so perhaps I am a good steward of my food choices if I, you know, bring some structure to it. But yeah, but that can't like that line. I just, I feel like that line is really, really thin. Right. So, so things with meal planning that are helpful for an intuitive eater, um, absolutely what you're talking about with the decision fatigue, like sometimes that is way too much, that decision-making process, um, in terms of like, everything's wide open. I don't even know what I have available. I don't like that's, that's something I don't want that situation every lunch, that would be really overwhelming for me. Um, So decision making at lunch, when you have done some like prep and meal planning is like, okay, 
I know that I bought the ingredients for this meal or this meal for lunches this week, which one sounds good to me. I know that I have the stuff in the fridge to make A, B, or C, you know, what, what do I want to make today? Or, you know, another thing, you know, sometimes like for lunches, you might have like, I'm going to have the same lunch every day this week, like zero shame for anybody that's doing that. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. If you have the same lunch. Um, And so for me, sometimes that can look like, okay, like I made these lunches for the week on the days that I go to work. They're easy. They're here. They're here. I know that this serves me, you know, feels good most of the time, whatever, brought this. Um, And also, if what they're serving in the cafeteria at lunch that day looks good and I want to have that, I may. Mm -hmm. Like, the meal plan is there to set me up to have something to eat that I know will feel good. But if there's something else that I want to eat or opportunity that arises, I don't have to eat what was on my, what I had prepared or what was in my head or what was my plan. Like that plan is just there as like self-care to make sure I have something to eat, Mm -hmm. but that's not the only thing that's allowable for me to eat. Yeah. Yeah. Or if I eat that meal that I had planned or packed and then I'm still hungry, I can have some more things. My goal here isn't to eat the perfect meal. My goal here is to try to stay adequately fueled. Yeah. And satisfied. And satisfied. Yeah. Because I thought like, I can often meet the adequately fueled without much planning. But like, if I spend some time to like, get my creative juices flowing when I'm planning my lunches then I can really tap into the satisfaction piece too. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one thing I've observed. If I'm not satisfied, I go to the chocolate chips faster (laughs) because it was like, that was lunch. Oh, okay. Now it's time for chocolate chips. Um, yeah. And like some chocolate chips after lunch, totally cool. Yeah. I know that you don't want to be going to them because you are like undernourished and not having energy. And now I'm like kind of binging on these chocolate chips. That doesn't feel good. That's not what you want. Um, but like, I'm a like dessert after every meal kind of gal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I usually have some sort of little sweet, um, mm-hmm. after lunch and dinner for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's allowed. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think I feel shame around that. Um, it's, it's more, it, I don't feel shame around the first time. Let me put it that way. The first handful it's, it's more the like all afternoon, Mm -hmm. a couple going back a couple times with a bowl. (laughs) It's a kid bowl, but it's still a bowl. Um, that that's where I'm like, ah, you know, and I know it, I know, oh, I didn't eat enough at lunch. I didn't like what I had for lunch. And, you know, in my mind still always goes to calories. Right. And it's like, oh, I know that was probably only like 200 calories, Heather, you know, that wasn't enough calories for lunch. And, you know, so that's like trying to like Uh beef that up, not from a restriction, not from it's too high, but just like, I know that wasn't enough for me. Do you think that you could elevate those chocolate chips 
nutritionally if you find that you didn't have enough for lunch hmm. so like okay i had the chocolate chips and now i'm wanting to go back for them and you just said you have that thought of like oh i i didn't eat enough for lunch and like oh i am recognizing that was not enough so my body is actually asking for like some sustainable energy here what can i add to my chocolate chips well, I didn't disclose the peanut butter. <laughs> so, and, and that's another, so with my smoothies and my um, bars, that's another probably piece to my, yeah. Like peanut butter was safe, although peanuts were on my MRT. And mm-hmm. so I've always been like, oh, is that too much peanut butter? But yeah, normally it's, it's a spoonful of peanut butter with my chocolate chips. Um what if you throw an apple in so you have some fiber? Yeah, and that that was my snack. Well, apples aren't seasonal right now, but that was that's my snack most of the year is okay. the apple, the peanut butter, and the chocolate chips. Okay. Um, and then I go back for more chocolate chips and then okay. more chocolate chips. Okay. <laughs> and then it's dinner time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I really like that uh, we just had that conversation because you didn't give yourself any credit for the apple and the peanut butter. You weren't going to tell me about that. Well, the apple hasn't been around for a while because seasonally we just haven't had good apples here in Texas and they'll they'll come back. But yeah, yeah, so lately it's just been the chocolate chips and then the one spoonful of peanut butter. Sometimes I'm really desperate days. I pair it with potato chips, which <laughs> is another diet choice. Um, but, but I think it's that I'm craving the fat. Mm-hmm. Like I know I need, I know I need the fat and, yes. you know, especially if breakfast has been weak on the fat side, um, mostly carbohydrate. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, I really this is a statement, probably not for the end of a show, but more for the beginning. But sometimes I wish I didn't know so much. Mm-hmm. I think it would be easier to just eat without thinking <laughs> through everything. You know uh, what I mean? Oh, I t- I'm a dietitian girl. <laughs> I know exactly what you yeah. mean. Um, so yeah, I mean, the stuff that we're working through right now is really gentle nutrition. Mm-hmm. And so much of it is permission, Heather. Yeah. So much of it is permission. Permission to try stuff out, to try some meal planning for lunches, to see how you feel, see what happens with the chocolate chips when you're a little bit more well-nourished in the beginning parts of the day and giving yourself permission to go back for the second bowl of chocolate chips. Often that like fake permission Mm -hmm. is what keeps us going back because it's like compulsion Mm -hmm. and rebellion and shame. But if there is like true, real, full permission to have those chocolate chips and enjoy them and you're focusing on getting yourself adequately fueled, you might start to notice those, those chocolate chips kind of change. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Aaron, what are your thoughts you've been observing? You know, I can't help, but 
kind of circle back to your 10 years or so period of breakfast was a certain way. And that was actually in hindsight, you know, we're Monday morning quarterbacking this massively. Um, but like that was a season where you were missing out on something because you were rigid about how you're approaching things. So I think this new approach with lunch is just this opportunity to kind of lean into your experimentation side that you have and to know and just remember that like the goal is not to do it perfectly. The goal is not to have no symptoms of anything ever and to like your body is functioning 100% at all times. It's not reality. And that's not the goal. Your goal is to nourish yourself. And your goal, as you said already, was to sustain yourself for the afternoon so you can uh, do what you need to do that day. Um, so just like remembering um, your why with that and remembering it's better to be curious and experiment and get it, even to get it wrong, to just know that you're like evolving with your needs as they change day to day over the years. And like, that's kind of part of it. Like, it's definitely, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, decision fatigue. Like, <laughs> I know it's hard to think about something all the time, but that's kind of the nature of this is that it's a process and it's daily and it's minute to minute and meal to meal, bite to bite within the meal. Like you have to, um, I think the permission makes the decision fatigue a lot easier just because nothing is off limits and therefore you've got a different lens on it. But like, you can't turn your brain off and it's good. It's actually good that you know all those things. You have all this lived experience of what it's been like for you in the past. And that's not, um, even when you've, you know, had to miss out on 10 years of breakfast on bad information <laughs> that you thought was good at the time, like you did the best you could with the information you had at that time. And like, it's okay. Like yeah. the goal is not doing this perfectly. Yeah. That is not our goal. Yeah. There is no perfection in any kind of eating that is worth having as a goal or achievable as a goal. So just like, let it go. There's no perfection in any area of life. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. it's so funny that we think it's even possible to be a perfect eater. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. and I don't stress out about whether or not I'm a perfect parent, you know, like I kind of accept the fact that like, just be, you know, good enough, try my best, like do my best, God will do the rest, you know, like I, but it's like eating, there's this illusion. Well, there's not a, you know, $70 billion parenting industry that really wants you to buy their stuff. <laughs> so, true. I mean, <laughs> the true, message too. is a lot more yeah. loud in our culture that there is a way to eat perfectly and that it will give you a guaranteed result that will last forever. Obviously we know that is snake oil. <laughs> Um, but like, of course we thought that, of course we thought we could eat perfectly because that's what culture says. Yeah. But yeah, as we learn and make mistakes and experience grace, it's like, well, that's not true. So how do I care for myself if I know perfection is not the goal? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, guys, we're out of time for this one, but thank you. Thanks for your help today. Yes, so good. Of course. And uh, everyone can catch you at the Intuitive Eating for Christian Women podcast. And you guys are going to start doing some group coaching. Um, there may still be spaces available for that when this airs. So, um, so check out everything that they have at the Intuitive Eating for Christian Women podcast. And your website is intuitiveeatingforchristianwomen.com. 
all those words are in there. Yeah. It'll be in the show notes, you guys. So (laughs) catch it there. Shard, Aaron, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you for listening to the show today. I hope something today has helped you stop comparing and start living. Oh, hey there, before you go, if something from today's show blessed you, may I ask a huge favor, leave a review on your favorite platform. Seeing your five-star reviews is a huge encouragement to me. Not sure how to do it? You can go to compare to who.me slash podcast, scroll to the bottom, and you'll find all the information. And while you're at compare to who.me, check out some of the more than 500 articles on there about body image, comparison, all the things you're thinking about. Plus, you can find out more about my books, or you can grab a time for a free 10-minute call to see if coaching is right for you. I'm so honored to be a part of your journey out of body image and comparison frustration. And I can't wait to hear how God is working to set you free. The Compare To Podcast is part of the Spark Media Network, now available on the Edify Podcast app. Grab the Edify app in your Google Play store or on the Apple Podcast app. You will be so glad you did. Hey, friend, would you check out the date on that episode you just listened to? Yeah, it's been a minute. Listening to old podcasts is almost like reading my diary from several years ago. In some cases, it's even a little embarrassing. So instead of listening straight through season by season, can I encourage you to skip ahead? I release brand new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. And if you're not sure where to start, you can go to improvebodyimage.com, find the start here button, and I've got several episodes listed and categorized so you can find the topics that are of most interest to you. Your time is valuable, so skip straight to the good stuff. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for letting me be a part of your body image and food freedom journey. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.